0: I'll ask you to please pause with me as we just pray briefly. Father, indeed, you are the one that we praise. You are the one that we adore. You are indeed the one that our hearts are hunger or hungry for. Father, it is always good for us to come together as your children so that we can connect so that we can learn from you, connect with you, to be encouraged by you, to be inspired by you. Thank you for this opportunity today, this evening, to be with your children. And as we gather, Father, we commit ourselves to you and ask that you be pleased with our meditations and particularly the words that come from my mouth. Lord, you know me inside and out. I stand transparent before you. I have nothing new to say. I have nothing to say, except what you have impressed upon my heart. I pray that by the power of your spirit that you will convey that to your children here this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. It was Francois Moriac who said, tell me what you read and I'll tell you who you are is true enough, but I'll know you better if you tell me what you reread, question How many of you have ever been in a fight? Uh huh. Now, there's different kinds of fight. How many of you have ever been in a physical fight with somebody? You, okay. <laughs> but Jerry, I saw that hand. Um, I wonder who won. Well, I, I never, as you can see, I'm not a fighting man. Um, But some of you who didn't raise your hand, some of you fight with words. How many of you have been fighting in an argument with words? You're good at that. You've never lost a round. I think my sister, now since I have four, I'm not telling you which one. So when you see them, you don't tell them I was talking about them. But I think my sister was very good with words. And so it is to annoy me to no end. So I like to pick up things and throw when that happens. So, but she was very, as we say, very sharp on her mouth. So she was good at that and say things that made no sense, but it still irritated me, you know, because if somebody told you that your teeth was big like pot cover, you shouldn't get upset with that. Because really that cannot be true, you know, I mean, unless a very small pot cover, If you take a typical pot cover, look at that, look at your teeth, no. Then obviously that person was lying. But I never picked a fight except To defend myself once, you want me to tell you what it was? I was minding my own business in school one day, and my best friend, Doogie, came up to me and told me, I'm going to beat you up after school. That's your best friend. Because Timothy told Doogie, or asked Doogie, I bet you can't beat your best friend. And instead of Doogie saying it's a nonsensical question, that's my friend, don't even entertain it. Instead he said, yes, I could. What a bad choice, bad answer. So, at break time, Doogie came up to me and says, after school, he's gonna beat me up. I think I was a little taller than most of the people in my class, I think. <clears throat> after school, we had forgotten as we walk home as a pack, it was an all-age school, walking along, and most of you are on the family island folks, so you know the main street is not far from the, let me call it the sea, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. And so, as we were walking, and I guess, Timothy had forgotten that he had asked Doogie. Doogie is not his real name, that's my nickname, Doogie. Uh, before you see Doogie, because I'm going to tell you who won this fight in a moment, you know. So Doogie might have a different view of this fight. But uh, as we were walking along, I guess there was no excitement on the road going home. And so Timothy remembered the challenge he gave to Doogie early in the day. And so he reminded Doogie. And so Doogie said, Ah, yes, yes. I promised to go beat up my best friend, Wendley, after school. Sister Brenda, that was not nice. And so as we were walking, and of course there is what we call a pawn nearby, and that's where the incident went down. Yeah, as it went down. Doogie came up to me and stood in front of me, and since I said he was a little shorter than I was, and then of course, and for, by the way, this is an all-age school, so you have students there who are seniors, and I guess I was about 13 and a quarter um, at that point. They, instead of them now seeing that a fight was about to take place, instead of them breaking up the fight, they determined that they're going to create a human ring. People, yeah, children. And and so that's what took place, they formed this ring. I I didn't know what to do, I still had my little plastic bag coming, you know, and Doogie stood in front of me, ready to go for it. This is called scrapping, right? So, Doogie stood in front of me and he went f- for my neck, with both hands, I guess, to pull it down into a headlock or something of the sort. Well, he did pull my head, of course, and I, I hugged him um, lovingly around the, <laughs> the, the body. We stumbled off the part of the main street onto the side of the pond, into the edge of this little mangrove stuff. And a bigger voice, of course, just pushing people back, saying, leave them alone. Well, because I was uh, holding Doogie around now, since his head was a little low my I got a, a little headlocked. But Doogie did the ungodly thing. He opened his mouth and closed it tightly upon my big tricep. <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I forgot all of my fighting strategies at that point. I, 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 he he saw me paralyzed on the side, you know, because he had a good pair of, of mandibular and maximum. So his jaws were strong and he was locked down tight. And so I couldn't do anything. He was too close for me to punch because his head is right here. And then somebody said, the spirit said to me, (laughs) I don't know if it was spirit, but I did see that his air was pretty close to my mouth. And I had this inspiration, a shalom. (laughs) And so I decided to return the favor. And since I'd ever saw him with an earring before, I was going to uh, pierce it for him for free. <laughs> so I latched down on his ear. <laughs> yes. Now, if he let my arms go, then I would consider whether I'm gonna let his ear go. But I am trying to get this, we used to call it a um, chalky bone. You know, that, that little gristle? Yeah, you, you, some people know what they're talking about. Well, when I locked down on that, he had to let out a cry like ow which means he couldn't see I he was biting, so he had to release me. And so I was released. Now, it was only after that. I look, I can see all the print of top and bottom jaw on my arm. That could upset people, you know, and because you know, he doesn't have to go very far to get the bone on me, you know. You know? <laughs> that was a fight. Then the bigger boy, yes, one of them named Hesley, then he comes say, yo, y'all stop this fight, Like, I guess he's coming out of control, so things getting out of hand. At this time, my arm gave the print. You know, I thought we saw the song with the flashing and the musical with Jesus' nail print. I had an arm print of this boy's teeth in my arm. Not nice. That was the only fight, you know, and that was self-defense. <laughs> Didn't last long, you know, but, well, he did have a little um, air conditioning <laughs> uh, up top on his air to deal with. But that was a brief fight, that's for me, a fight. I did try to get into another, I didn't get another fight, I was sure, I don't know. Sometimes children will set you up, yeah. They told me that this boy hit my sister in school, and she was young, and I thought because you told the bigger brother you have to go and do something about it. And I was going, when I get to the boy who did something accidentally knocked my sister down. He was, I was going to say he was bigger than me, but then that's a misnomer because everybody's bigger than me. And so when I saw him and all the kids there, I started punching about 40 feet away. Yeah, because I'm swinging. Left, right, and then I'm going. And of course there's this little entourage behind you say, yeah, yeah, go get him. He, he make your sister cry. <laughs> and I believed that. Fortunately, I was intercepted <laughs> um, by some students who went and told a teacher that a fight is going down on the play field. And that teacher became my seed because if that, that boy who was going out and stop, you know, and he didn't knock me, it would have been, you know, just disintegrated right before your very eyes. <laughs> it's a big boy. But I had this big pride because these children behind me, these other peers of mine, saying, go get him, boy. Yeah. You know, they only, they're not going to feel the pain, <laughs> you know, but that's what children do for you. Tonight, some people are feeling some pain. I guess why they didn't show up you tonight. They call it a Super Bowl. But you know, there's another game on right here tonight. And I think that the best offense, and your bulletin says, is a great defense. Know your opponent. Their passions, their character, their language, their strength, and their weaknesses, their behavior, their motive. And as Christians, and as a Christian, you are in a fight. And how do you defend yourself, or how is your defense? Because you are in a fight. Now that's the most pathetic thing, to be in a fight and you don't even know you're in a fight. Because you're getting beat right up and you don't even know it, you're just smiling <laughs> and you're getting busted. up. You should know how to defend yourself. And so I want to, with your permission, look here. I'm going to take you to WW. and I'm going to talk about this dude called Jude. Chapter 1 If you want to find me in chapter 2 I'll see you next week Because they do not have a chapter 2 But in verse 3 Is where I want to lock in And by the way You do find that in your Bible Alright Now Here's a question By the way I discovered this That there's a difference Between how Men think and see things And how women think and see things Uh, Is that sometimes true? Yeah, I think that for one, one sense, when you're looking for a, se- a sense of self, men generally, and this is a generalization because you will always find an exception to this generalization. But for a sense of self, men point to their achievements. For a woman, for a sense of self, they talk about their relationships. When it comes to task, Men, and I speak personally, I am more task oriented. Tell me what it is you want done, and I'm going at it. I'm one track, I do not multitask well. I'm gonna zoom in on that and take care of that. A woman on the other hand is again more relational. When I'm driving, some people say they don't, or they see me and I don't see them. I wonder why. I'm looking at who's in front of me, and who is this person gonna make this unscheduled, unpredictable move and I have to take evasive action. The person who tooted the horn, by the way, the, the horn in my car don't always respond to me. We're having a problem communicating, you know. If I press it, it sometimes will respond, sometimes it choose not to. So I will hit it, and I, after I passed the person, I could have been about five miles gone. I hit it again, and it didn't respond. In case the person did say, well, I toot to you the other day, but you didn't respond. I said, you, were driving too fast, because I did respond, but it was five miles later. Something else about men, men are self-reliant. Like, don't ask for direction, yeah? Whereas women are interdependent. Um, Ask for help, that's our weakness as men. And I, I told you once when I was on uh, my honeymoon and my wife tell me the people when I picked up the car I said it takes you about 30 minutes to get to the hotel and I got there two and a half hours later because in their mind over there they said just down here you know when you get that light go left and you'll see the sign I went gone left 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 onto the highway going still left left saw the sign of the hotel and I was going away from it it's getting smaller smaller she said, why don't you stop, pull over. I said, I'm going to speak behemoth, so I'm going to go across that medium and back over on the other side. Jennifer, please pull me over. Just, you don't know, sit in the car and laugh because they'll think I intentionally do it. I am not letting that hotel get out of my sight. I didn't want to stop. And I said, why do, I did stop eventually as a trucker. Please, please tell me where this particular hotel is. He said, "He know." I said, "See, that's the same thing. I can embarrass myself. Ask a stranger what where this hotel is. He doesn't know. I must let me. I could read a map. I just said it didn't work. That's my problem. Not generally all men, but women. On that hand, they don't have a problem asking for help. They see it as a compliment. He said, "How do you? How are you wired?" There's a difference between men and women. This dude called Jude is where I want to talk to you about this evening. Think with me, and I'm going to speak quickly if I can, but I have to be conscious that you are, you have two genders in here, men and women. How do I say this where I can still uh, um, communicate to exhort both genders? Here's a brief overview. Jude was writing to these believers who were experiencing, who were in a fight. As a matter of fact, The fight was happening generally from persons from their very midst, which can be very subtle, and you might not even know it. That is a dangerous kind of fight. And these persons were causing all sorts of problem for the believers. Jude had another thing in mind when he initially determined that he wanted to write to these uh, believers about their common salvation, and that's always a wonderful topic to talk about, our salvation but then there was something that was more pressing. There was the apostasy taking place right in the church and he wanted to address them. So he began after his usual, or the usual at the time, salutation. He said to them that mercy, peace and love, and mercy of course is God's compassionate comfort and care for his beleaguered saints in times of conflict and stress. And so certainly they needed God's mercy, peace, is the serenity and the confidence that come from reliance on God's word and from looking above circumstances to the one who overrules all circumstances for the accomplishment of his own purpose. Then he says, love. Love is the undeserved embrace of God for his dear children. a super, if you call it, super affection that should be, that he shares with his children. And then, of course, he expects his children to share with others. He said, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to them. Verse 3 says, beloved, while I was giving all diligence to write unto you of our common salvation, I was constrained to write unto you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered unto the saints. Let me slow down and say this verse again. Beloved, while I was giving all diligence to write unto you of our common salvation, I was constrained to write unto you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered unto the saints. Beloved, here we hear the expression of strong affection. When I gave all diligence, to me, this suggests that he was applying some earnest thought, implying that he had reflected on the subject and he thought particularly of what would be desirable to write to these believers. When I gave all diligence. This was not just an off the cuff send them send-em-a-little-high-hello letter. He'd given this much thought. And he says, after giving this much diligence, to write unto you of our common salvation, and that is the salvation that is common to all of us, Jews and Gentiles, all who bore the name Christian, those who have placed faith in Jesus Christ. And then he said, it was needful for me to write to you. That means he reflected on the general subject and found that there was a particular topic or aspect of the subject on which it was necessary to address them. He said, I saw a danger in which you were from false teachers and felt it's not only necessary that I should write to you, but that I should make this particular subject of my counsel to you at this time. And so he says, and to exhort you, that I should make my letter, in fact, an exhortation on this particular topic. And here it is, what he says, that you should earnestly contend, in boxing terms you're talking about this is a number one contender, uh, number two contender. These are the persons, persons who line up in the boxing uh, world who is the number one ranking in all of this stuff. Here we are being exhorted encouraged to earnestly, deliberately, intentionally contend. Let's take contend out. Let's say fight. <laughs> fight. Why is it that you want to fight? Sister is not a fighter. She says she's a lover. So we don't fight. James is telling us, Jude is telling us, sorry, that we are to earnestly contend, the word here rendered, earnestly contend means to contend upon for and about anything that would be applicable in the interest or the earnest effort put forward. And then he used a term that was in the Greek or Grecian games, you know, like, you remember Paul used that term about straining, you know, Towards and then to the goal, those reference in terms of giving a sports or game analogy, so that you can win the prize. The reference here, of course, is only contention in terms of argument or reasoning. Argument or reasoning by holding fast to the truth of Scripture and maintaining them or maintaining them against all opposers. It would not justify contention by arms or violence or by persecution. So when we say contend for the faith it doesn't mean you have to go and pick up your cutlass, leave that home. The persons among you, the persons who are the apostate, those who are opposed to the truth of scripture, the fight could be an argument or reasoning from the scripture so that you can defend what it is you believe. I am always intrigued and interested in what it is a person believes and ask them can you tell me what you believe and why you believe what you believe? And when you are unable to do that, that should trigger some hunger in you to find the answer so that you can be in a position to defend your belief. Because you are to contend earnestly for the faith. Now what is this faith? Let's be certain, it is not what we call saving faith. These people were already saved. You don't have to fight to keep yourself saved. That's already a done deal, taken care of by God himself. This faith that you are to contend for, I call it the sacred deposit of Christian truth, truth, the entire body of belief, your doctrine, inspiration, the inerrancy of scripture, the authority of scripture, the sufficiency of God's word, the deity of Christ, The vicarious death of Christ, the word of God in total, the resurrection. These are the cardinal virtues of the Holy Scriptures. And because they are the very origin and the presence and our destiny depends on this body of truth. And therefore, we are encouraged by Jude to vigorously, vigorously contend for this truth, this faith that was once delivered to the saints. And the word here is hapax in the Greek, may mean either once for all, in the sense that it has been complete and there's nothing else need to be done. This body of truth has once for all been delivered to the saints. It is said that if it is new, and you know, if you listen to some of our media and the printed uh, media as well and books, somebody's always coming up with something new, in terms of new revelation and addition to scripture and it says that if it is new, it is not true. And if it is true, it's not new. Everything which he has revealed or delivered, we are to defend as true in all places, at all times, in all circumstances, end at all sacrifice. And that's a dirty word for some of us because we do not like the word or to personally Sacrifice anything. But there are those who are practitioners of apostasy. And let me say it again there are those. And these are persons who are in the church, in the church, which makes it sometimes difficult to detect. Unless, of course, you know the truth, you know your faith, so that you can hear it and detect it instantly. They are with us. For example, by the way, there's a group of persons that you may not know who comes around regularly to your house in pairs, you know, or triplets, (laughs) knocking on your door. The Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, do not believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, normally they don't come and sit in your pew, but sometimes they may come to the people who sit in your pew and visit with them on weekends and they're having a Bible study with them. They do not believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. They do not believe that Jesus Christ bodily was resurrected. They said that he was resurrected a spirit. The question to ask them, which they do not like for you to ask because you're not supposed to know how to ask this kind of question. Well, if, if his body didn't resurrect, well, where, where, where's the body? You'd be interested to know that they said that God the Father hid the body. Isn't that deceitful? That God the Father hid, let me say it another way, he hid it. For what? So that then he could pretend that Jesus was resurrected? They do not believe that, the resurrection, core doctrine. They do not believe that Jesus Christ, by the way, we're still looking for Jesus Christ to return. Jehovah's Witness believe that Jesus Christ has already returned. That's why the world is in so much trouble. Jesus came back in 1914. That's why we had World War I. He's already here. So when you talk to them and you're talking about he's coming, they only smiling at you to be polite. He's already here. They've been told that and they preach that. They teach that door to door. You know they do not expect to go to heaven. The last person who's qualified to go to heaven That the last person to make the number of 144,000, only 144,000 can go to heaven. And the last person to fill that number was in 1935. So anybody who missed that, (laughs) you ain't going. Your place is here on earth. That's what they teach. Of course, you know they do not believe that Jesus Christ is truly God. He's not God. He is a God. As a matter of fact, he is Satan's spiritual brother. But they won't come out front and tell you that. They'll talk about this wonderful article in the Awake magazine, you know, and ask you, say, do you believe? And I say, hey, I just one question. Tell me about this person they call Jesus. I read someplace once that, for God so loved. I say, who is they talking about? And then I said, there's someplace, I don't remember where, it says that in the beginning was the... The the word, then they grabbed their new word they show me it. I said, I said, why you get this little small g here? And this, well, they said, well, it's grammatical. I said, but if you were writing that in German, they don't know, make the distinction between uppercase and lowercase. How do you distinguish between that? Well, they didn't know. They said, well, that's what the society tells ta- us. Oh, so, they do not believe that Satan. Well, let me say, they do believe this. They also believe that, you know, that Jesus is Michael. You know, the archangel, yeah? Do you think there are people who come to Calvary who are studying with them, who come here every, well, Sunday? Because they're very nice, you know, people, very polite, and they will follow up with you. Their plan is to give you six months, study with them, you know? Paradise, little red book, They not change the color big one, small one, so that they can very effectively walk you through, and they have the stage questions for you. For them, you might say, yeah, I could spot them. But there are some other ones who might be right in our midst. And so if you're knowing how to defend your faith against them, maybe you don't have to guess what they look like. Scripture, if you read from verse 4 in Jude and following Jude did not leave it to chance. He tells us what they look like. So I'm going to just quickly run through that with you. And while I'm asking or mentioning what these people would look like, because I need to know who my enemies are so I can know how to defend them. I need to know whether this is a left-hand boxer or this is a right-hand boxer so I can know how to counter, you see. So it's important that we do that. So let's look and see what it is. Um, There are certain men, it says in verse 4, Certain men, I think these are subversive elements, who crept in secretly or privily. These are unnoticed. They use ninja move, that's what it is. They come in like stealth, right in, sitting down, they sing the same songs, Brother Anton, you know, and singing louder and sound better than me, certainly, you know, they, but they are deceitful. They have a ulterior motive. These are people who are occupying, pretending to be with you, but they're working for the enemy. And Paul's farewell to the elders at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, 29 and 30 says this. I know that after my departure, savage wolves, that's what he called them, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will rise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Now, here's what these men look like. But when I'm asking this, I want you to do this, and no one will know because you're gonna do it privately. You will continue to hold the same posture, facial expression, so I won't know whether you think you're guilty or not, or whether you think of somebody who you say, you know what, this, that's, ooh, that's them, because I saw them here earlier today, or last week. Here's what they say about one of them. They say they're ungodly men. By the way, men, generic, it can be women too, because I don't want you to get the impression that you only have ungodly men. There are some ungodly women exist as well. But they are ungodly. Here's a description. They are ungodly men. Here's something else about them. They turn the grace of our God into lasciviousness, lewdness. That's what they do. They deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. They deny him, his deity. He is not really God. Does that sound familiar? He was just a son of God. He was a good teacher, a good prophet, you know, he had some wise things to say, but he's not really God. They are dreamers. Fancy things. Where you get that from? The Spirit told me last night, right after I had that big hamburger. That's a nightmare. I didn't know but dreamers they defile their flesh. They also reject the Lord's authority. They are slanderers. They slander his glorious being. They will—they'll they, say anything about anyone, including angels. God is not exempt. They are like irrational animals. That's—that's that's cool. Animal is one thing, but irrational animal. They are like Cain. What do you know about Cain? Good fellow, right? Shortcut, Bohemian, Cain. <laughs> Shortcut? This is a prescription. Here's what you do, how I want it done. Uh uh-uh. uh. I'm going to give it to you in another way. And if you get in my way, I'll take you out. Jealousy? Cain. Do you know anybody like that? Well, let's start with yourself. You're not jealous, are you? I'm so glad. Very good. Here's it these are people who rush headlong into Balaam's era to make a profit. Wow. They'll do whatever it takes. Step on, over, through anybody, long as it, I'm coming out on the other end to get a profit. They're the persons who are part of this subversive group who crept in secretly. But you may not see that while they're sitting in the pew. Very suddenly, listen to their conversation. They are like stains on your love feast, your Lord's Supper. When we fellowship, listen to what they say. They are a stain on your love feast. Everything going well until they come and they said something negative and you feel like the current turning. Ugh, why your, where that came from? Something negative. You know, if it's not about somebody in that group, it's about our assembly in general. You know, always complaining about something. It says there, the feast, they, they feast with us without a sense of awe. When we participate, and as we did earlier today, in our Lord's table, the Eucharist, and we reflect on the awesome symbolism of that and what took place, what Jesus went through. There are persons who will sit, and we can't read them. That's why it's very personal, as we encourage from time to time, to to evaluate, to self-examine yourself. I'm not going to be sitting there examining or evaluating you. Examine yourself. But there are those who might be sitting there because it's just another routine. It's the first Sunday in the month, and they always do that in the A.M. service. There's not a sense of awe or great appreciation or gratitude for what is taking place. And when you step out of here, they might say, that child, that was so long, I was getting sleepy. They say something so trivial, while I was reflecting and you inject that. They don't have a sense of awe about that kind of thing without when we feast together. It's something else. They are like shepherds who are only concerned about themselves, they only care about themselves, it's all about me. They are like waterless clouds blown about by the wind. Now on a hot day, it's okay to be cloudy, that can come in handy, but when you want rain, when you want something that you can offer to a thirsty soul, the farmer, his crops, I want to make sure that cloud is not just ah, empty. I need you to have some substance a waterless cloud blown about by the wind. They are like autumn trees that are fruitless, totally dead, uprooted. They have nothing to offer, nothing worthwhile. They are like wild waves of the sea, churning up foam (laughs) of their own shame. You ever saw anybody sitting in the pew with foam coming out of their mouth? (laughs) Call the doctor. They're always saying something, but nothing, it's just disgusting. And then they they laugh at it. It's not funny. Their own shame, they have no sense of shame. They are like wandering stars for whom the deepest darkness has been reserved for them. Wow, that's a black hole for you. Wandering stars for whom the deepest darkness has been reserved. In case you missed so far what these people look like, sound like, here's another one. They are complainers and fault finders, fault finders. You know anybody who complain? You have anybody complain about everything? They complain that they have the capacity to complain. They complain, they find fault about anything, everyone, all the time. Watch out for those persons. They are followers of their own ungodly desires. They say arrogant things. Arrogant things. We said, boy, well, you can show off now. But for them, that's common. And they flatter people for their own advantage. Hmm. When was the last time someone gave you a compliment? And what did you say? What, what did I, I said, I was so shocking they said this to me. He said, I wonder what they want. <laughs> you know, just wait. <laughs> you know, because they never, they never speak to me. <laughs> and this time, you know, it's, it's because the spirit has moved upon their heart and says, oh, they're doing something right for once, they, they, at least they're beginning this process of change, or is this person is doing this for some other advantage, who's very arrogant? They also mock us. They'll mock anything that you do, anything that we do, they'll mock it. Again, because of the setup here, you may not see it in the view. But you wait till you get in the parking lot. A lot of things are packed out there. Yes, sir, yes, sir. Three bags full of stuff. Morcus. They cause division. And some people say it in an interesting way. It's amazing how creative people are when they want to gossip or say something negative and cause strife. Some of it is disguised like a prayer request. You know, could you please pray for me? Oh could you please pray for Brother Arrow? He's having so much problems. You know, the boy needs prayers. (laughs) You know, it's amazing. You know, and they want to sign and say, did you hear? Not only him. And then they'll name somebody else. You know, we need to pray for these people. You know, but did you hear? Under the disguise of saying they're interested and let's pray about it, cause division where none exists otherwise. These people finally are worldly people, simply stated they are devoid, empty of the true Spirit of God. In fact, these people aren't saved. But because they are part of the apostasy, oh they have the right words. And again, apostasy, not prostate or for prostrate. The apostasy, not apostle leader. Yet he may call himself that Apostle this and apostle that Apostate We have to be alert They exist back then That Jude was talking to They exist today And possible We are not exempt That they can be right among us But if we follow the the words The encouragement The exhortation from Jude Look at all of those descriptors First let's make sure That we are not to any of them. I don't want to be a party to any of them because if I get hooked up with one of these who is intent on doing that, I can end up saying amen to the person who's trying to cause division and complaining and arrogant and wild and waterless and take take a stain on the whole feast of assemblage, slanderous, irrational animal. Your thinking is so weird. Where's that come from? It's certainly not biblical. Those persons exist. I want to encourage you because of and we go to the last part of the, this particular letter or epistle of Jude. Verse 24. He says this as a form of encouragement so that you can indeed stand and withdraw in this fight as you contend earnestly for the faith. He says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. I like that. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless, blameless, before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and dominion and power, both now and forever. And then they said, Amen. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling. Falling? I don't fall, somebody might say, but the dangers of being led away by the creative craftiness of these persons who might exist who teach you false doctrine. The phrase to keep you from falling means here to preserve you from falling into sin, from yielding to the temptation of those persons who might be dishonoring this faith that you say you have, this body of truth. It is God only in the midst of our temptation in the world who can keep us from falling. But blessed be his name that he can do it, he will do it if we trust him and to present us faultless, I like that. Blameless, that's amazing. When you think of who we are as an individual, all of our inadequacies and failures, and yet we can look forward with great hope that one day we will be presented. And it's crazy good that we will be presented faultless. You say, for me, all that? Yippee, yippee, yo, yeah. But he's gonna do that with exceeding joy. what does that mean, exceeding joy? Joy is enough for me, because he's doing it with joy. But he's going to do that with exceeding joy, abounding joy, for those of us who are redeemed, that we have been rescued from sin. That's exciting. And death. And then on top of that, he, he gives a heavenly experience, <laughs> an eternal home. Wow. I wonder who now will tell me, "Boy, are you interested? Are you you following that Jesus?" They don't know about this little secret I get here. You know, how I'm going to be presented at one day to come. But that's what we have all been promised. And I encourage you, you know, this one who is our Savior. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. This one who has all power, because one day. When for us, collectively, certainly for me, and I can say I'm sure for you as well, one day it will be our collective light to look forward to the time when we may cast every crown at his feet and to say with joy, let me say to say with exceeding joy, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. And that's a pointed point when you stop you can't say the next word unless you pause and say hallelujah no no you can't say it like that this is a hallelujah kind of thing right in the middle of this salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God because he is the one deserving of it all and we are his and until he comes we are being encouraged to contend earnestly for the faith that was for once and for all delivered to us the saints, but be aware, my brothers and sisters, that you are in a fight, and it is bigger than super Bowl. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you, thank you for such great love that you have for us. Lord, we can't measure that. Thank you for your power that is infatigable. Thank you for your love that is infinite. Thank you for all the resources we need to contend earnestly for the faith that you have given to us once in the past. Lord, cause us to be vigilant. Cause us to be always in a state of readiness. Give us alert ears, sharp minds. Give us speech that is appropriate for the occasion. Lord, we thank you for all of your provision. And now as we leave here, ready to continue to fight for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. We give you praise because you are indeed worthy. And all of God's children said, amen.